Hello, and um, welcome to the Creating a Positive Impact podcast, where we hope to do just that, create a positive impact. Now we do that by shining some light on some of the great people, businesses, and organizations who exist to solve some of our most pressing problems and attempt to make the world a better place. Most of which, by themselves, won't make a huge difference, but this is all about interconnection and atomic gains compound. Now, when we consider guests for this show, we think about whether they fall into one of two categories, that of macro-global scale change, or if actually maybe they have a niche-specific problem that they're helping to tackle. And I think both are equally as important, because it shows that really what counts is just everyone finding their unique contribution to a better world. Not everyone can solve the climate crisis, and not everyone can develop technologies to capture carbon, for example. But everyone is good and skilled at something. I do believe that finding out how, what you're good at and where your passions lie, can contribute to a better world is a very honourable way to spend a life. Now for me that takes shape in podcast creation. I have a fairly limited skill set in audio, music, storytelling and I guess a little bit of running a business. So telling stories worth telling through podcasting became my calling. And one of those stories that's worth telling is that of Judith McMinn from Reason. She joins me today to talk about brain safety in sports. Now, it's not something I'd really considered before, but as Judith goes on to explain, that naivety in itself is what makes it so dangerous. I certainly learned a lot from this one, and anyone that plays sport or knows someone that does, there is a lot of potentially life-changing information in this one. Judith, hello. Thank you so much for coming on. How are you? Sam, thanks so much. I'm very well and looking forward to chatting. Good stuff. Me too. Let's, let's dive right in. So for those of us that, that don't know who you are or who Reason is, just give us some context, give us some background about you and how Reason came about. I'm Judith McMinn and I've spent the last 20 years working in the corporate world. I've led on cost down programs, process reviews, and I've advised the former prime minister. Uh, but for 30 years, I've had a question that I had from playing hockey at school, a question that's become more relevant and more pertinent as we've watched the head injuries in sport. And that is, why do we choose to protect our shins and our teeth, but not our brain in sport? I decided to do something about that. And I decided to research what brain protection was in the market because head-worn helmets, scrum caps, are designed to protect the scalp and the head, but not the brain. So I developed reason, um, because there's a very good reason to protect the brain. And we developed brain protection, the first product of its type globally, uh, with a CE mark, UKCA mark, and product innovation of the year, actually, this year wow. in terms of PPE. So that's a little bit about me and uh, the story behind, behind reason. And we're a county Durham-based business. Uh, we manufacture in the UK and we became a B Corp in July of this year. So we're doing our best to fly the flag for British innovation, British design and British manufacturing. Wow, I love it. Congrats on the B Corp status. That's always a big one to get, isn't it? That's good to hear. Yeah, I mean, that it, it, it's super, super interesting because when I we first set up this podcast and we were looking at positive impact across the world and all these different industries and sports safety just did not occur to me straight off the bat and then when I stumbled on you guys like oh yeah obviously this is a huge thing like sports is a massive part of people's lives and I guess yeah I just didn't really think about looking after your head and it sounds so obvious when you say it out loud but 
can you speak to that as to why you think it's not so given and so obvious and what problems you noticed at the start? I think the first thing is the head and the brain are two different things. And we're talking about head injuries, but actually what we mean is brain injuries. And and I think when we start realizing it's the brain that we are putting at risk and it's the brain that's vulnerable, then I think you do start to realize why you are not protecting it. The second thing is around performance. In sport, everyone thinks of performance below the neck, being faster, fitter, stronger, and leaner. And truthfully, we could all possibly be as fast and as fit as each other with the right resources. But actually, performance in sport and in life is determined by the brain. The lioness is winning. It is the brain mm. and the thinking and taking the challenges um, that, that made them win. And that is just one of those things that sports has overlooked. And so we're really challenging that notion around brain health, brain performance, and protecting the brain. Because the brain is highly vulnerable. And it's particularly vulnerable if you're a child, and particularly vulnerable if you're a woman. And it is vulnerable to concussion, which we're all getting an increasing understanding of, which are those one hits, those single hits that cause signs and symptoms. But more importantly, it is very vulnerable to sub-concussions, and those are the smaller impacts, which are asymptomatic. Uh, they are 500 times more frequent, and they're caused by a quarter of the force. So in a rugby wow. season, you might take a concussion, you might not, but you'll take 1,500 sub-concussions. And those sub-concussions accumulate, and it is the sub-concussions that cause later life neurogenitive disease, including CTE, which is the early onset dementia that we are seeing, seeing and hearing more about in terms of the former rugby players, um, which I think the media is saying there are about 400 now here in the UK. It's CTE is the disease that has rocked the NFL. Um, CTE was first diagnosed in an Australian female athlete uh, about six weeks ago. It's People do not have an awareness of brain health until it's too late. And when it's too late and when symptoms manifest, it really is. So what we're doing is challenging the status quo. We are giving people the choice to protect our brain by focusing on reducing the rotational forces, which are those forces that cause the brain to rotate inside the skull, and reducing their risk of concussion, and more and more importantly, their risk of sub-concussions which, as I said, is the greatest risk factor in later in life neurodensities. And I should say, we're not talking about people late in life. We're talking about athletes in their 20s, 30s, and 40s who have early onset mm -hmm. dementia, which is hugely life-changing for them, their friends, and their family. Wow. Yeah, we'll definitely, we'll definitely pick back up on the early onset dementia, because that's something that, for me, is just... There's very few things I'd wish upon someone I know less th th than that. It's just the most awful way to, to deteriorate in, in front of your, your loved ones. I think it's really sad. And for that to happen so young is, yeah, pretty unthinkable. But well, I think we will pick back up on it. But there's just a few things that I wanted to, to come back to. I'm really interested to know if this is a this is a personal issue for you. Do you have any kind of personal connection or stories or, or, or background to this problem? You know, do you have perhaps friends, family that suffered from, from this lack of awareness, essentially? Yeah, I think like most of us, we have a personal connection to dementia. As a woman, you're two to one predisposed to dementia over a man. 
one in three of us today alive will go on to develop dementia. But what is so distinctly different about dementia in later years, which is essentially over 65, from dementia, early onset dementia, is when you take it below 65. And as you say, that's when it's really life-changing, your career, your family, your outlook in life. And through the work that I've been doing with Reason, I've got to meet some of the former rugby players who have CTE. These are guys who are younger than me. These are guys just turned 40. One guy in particular is looking for a nursing home, not for his parents, but for himself. Now, the scenario of 40-year-olds, people in their 40s looking for nursing homes is, I'm afraid, common, you know, when when you think about parents or all their relatives. But when you start thinking about it for yourself, that is hugely sobering. And I've been able to spend a little bit of time with these guys to understand about their careers, about their playing styles, and, and where they are now. And when you spend time with people like that, you realize that actually giving people a choice to protect their brain is a valuable thing to do. And not everybody wants to. There are a lot of people still in denial. There are a lot of people who think it won't happen to them, when in fact the odds would suggest it does. And there are a lot of people who say, it's not today's problem, it's tomorrow's problem, we'll worry about it tomorrow. So we're still at a very early stage in people acknowledging brain health, people doing something about it, people stepping outside their peers and saying to people, well, it's my brain, I'll choose to protect it. And it's only when you frame brain injury in terms of other issues that people are more interested. For instance, if you've had a concussion, your risk of a lower body injury, an ACL, a muscle tear, is increased by up to 67%. And yet the concern of people having an ACL and being out for months seems a great deal more important to people than their brain, which will obviously change and could change the rest of their lives. So we are, I think, still very naive as a society. And that's because you can't see the brain. The brain doesn't feel pain in the same way that if you lose your teeth, if you break your leg, if you do your ACL, it's so obvious. It's got a cosmetic, it's got a pain bar, um, to it as well. You know, Of course you want it fixed. And you want to get back to, to playing and, and doing everything that you, you do in day-to-day life. What, out of interest, what sports are you seeing this occurring most commonly? You've mentioned rugby. I guess that one strikes me as kind of obvious and perhaps boxing, where maybe you're quite well, literally getting thumped in the head for a living. <laughs> again, this is one of the things that sports got a little naive about as well. This idea that brain injury only happens in certain sports. It happens in any sport at any level, in any player, where there are head impacts. That's hockey. Football, netball, rugby, contact and collision sports. But it is happening anywhere. And that's head to ground, head to knee, head to post. Football has been framed as heading. And if you removed heading, it would take it all away. I mean, that's a little naive because when you look at head impacts in football, a very small, significant number is head to ball. It's actually head to ground and head to knee and head to post. That, that happens. This is sport agnostic. And the moment that you start thinking about brain health across sports is actually when you start to appreciate the brain and you take the sport differentiation out of it. Yeah, I can definitely, I can absolutely see that. And something that's just occurred to me from my background when I used to play football and that amateur level compared to, to seeing it on the telly is amateur sport is way rougher. <laughs> So I'm guessing this isn't just a problem at, at the professional level. Not at all. And again, that's one of the naive, that's one of the things that's perhaps got a little lost in all of this debate that it only you're only at risk 
if you play in the Premier League or you're only at risk if you play top-level sport. It's so not the case. You will still take those 1,500 sub-concussions if you play for the fifth team. The, the brain, the human brain, is not, is not differentiated just because of what league you play in. So this is a real issue for anyone who plays sport. And by the way, that sport's a really positive thing. So it's not about stopping sport. That would be the wrong mm. way. And that's why we worked in such a way to develop something that's non-invasive. It just fits with the kit, really. That Because sport brings many social benefits and it brings many physical, cardiovascular benefits. But the brain is at risk when you take head impacts and when you take the accumulation of small impacts. And when you start playing sport young and you take head impacts under 12, it has the ability to change the rest of your life because children who take head impacts under 12 grew up to be cognitively disadvantaged. And now that's something that most parents and most coaches and most schools don't seem to know. And yet that research is has been out for a number of years. It's been done in the US. It's been done in Australia. And there is a proven link. And so by taking head impacts of the child, you are gambling with your future, your intelligence and your potential. So if we're not protecting children, I think that's a question as we get more and more awareness and understanding around the brain that we really probably have to think about, particularly those with a duty of care in school and club sports. Absolutely sure. It wasn't really a top of a priority for, for my parents or school or, or um, kind of sports um, coaches that I had for, for, for various sports. I'm exactly why you're here. I'm really glad that people like you are around trying to bring attention to this stuff that just isn't known. And I think that that actually very neatly brings me to your solution, right? Like you say, it's not about stopping sport, it's about working with it. And you have done just that. So I think now it's going be a great time for you to show us what you've been working on and what's in the market now. To understand how to protect the brain, I really had to understand two things, the mechanics of brain injury and the physicality of the brain. And I brought experts together who are brain experts. There are actually very few brain experts despite the number of people who present themselves in the media and write books and, and be on social media, there's actually very few true brain experts. But what I did was connect with those and connect with people who've spent their career working on body protection and manufacturing and material science. And what really is at the root of all of this is two things. One is reducing rotational forces to the brain. So when you take a head impact, whether that's head to ground, head to knee, head to post, there are two types of forces involved. There's linear forces, which are straight line G forces, which cause the brain to move back and forth by about one millimeter. But they are angled forces called rotational forces. And they are much, much more damaging to the brain because they cause the brain to rotate inside the skull. So again, not everybody's that familiar with how the brain moves inside the skull. And again, there are all sorts of videos, wacky videos on the internet, which are actually not true. And it is the rotation of the brain that is most serious because it causes the brain cells to be torn, tiny blood vessels around them to, to shear, and it causes an inflammation inside the brain. And that inflammation upon inflammation causes then later life damage. And what also is a problem is the subconcussions. So Everyone is getting more familiar with concussions, which are these relatively high force impacts, which cause you to feel sick, dizzy, ringing in your ears. There are a lot of clinical signs and symptoms. Uh, and by the way, being knocked out only happens in less than 10% of cases. But subconcussions are completely asymptomatic. And they are 500 times more common, as I said, 
caused by a quarter of the force and you're just unaware you, you're getting them and the people around you are unaware. And so therefore, we wanted to develop something that would reduce rotational forces to the brain and would quickly work in subconcussions. And that's what we did. And we're the first company to focus on those two, two lines of inquiry to develop something. So what we developed was a protective headband, uh, a headband that's made up of nine protective layers, but still only is nine and a half millimeter thick. It weighs less than 70 grams. So it's as light as a hairband that many people would choose to wear. It's certainly half the weight of scrum caps and other head-worn protection. And when you take an impact on the head, the layers move over each other to reduce those rotational and linear forces, but importantly, rotational forces. Therefore, the brain rotates less inside the skull. It doesn't stop it completely. Nothing would. It doesn't prevent concussion. But what the band is doing is reducing your risk of concussion and subconcussion, particularly subconcussions. And what's really important here is the scale, because our band reduces those rotational forces by up to 61%. And wow. even if you were to argue and say, oh, it's only a fraction of that, fine. But the fact is you're taking 600, 1500 plus small impacts a season. It means every time you're doing that, you are reducing your risk. And we now know from research coming from the US, we now know that for every 1,000 head impacts you've had, your risk of early onset dementia, CTE, is increased by 20%. We know that for every 1 million radians per second, your risk of CTE is increased by 22%. Our band in testing from a bare head to a head wearing a band reduces those rotational forces by 5,000 every time, 5,000 radians per second, all independently tested. And that's why we are the first company to have had PPE, personal protective equipment. Most people probably think of that as gloves and face masks in light of COVID. Yeah, I think we've heard all about that. We've recently, heard all we? about <laughs> it in good and bad ways. But yeah. anything that you put in your head that is protective is PPE by law, by European and domestic law. And we're the first product to have PPE category two. Scrum caps are not protective. They're designed by World Rugby to provide no protection. That is what a World Rugby approved scrum cap means. It provides no protection. The design is unchanged since about 1890. It actually increases rotational forces by its very design. It doesn't protect you where you most need protection, which is the back of the head, because most scrum caps tie up at the back. And... Most parents and most players who go out to buy scrum caps, about 66% of them think it's protective. People are buying it for the protection of their ears, which is fair enough. But in terms of brain protection, a scrum cap doesn't come anywhere near to Hence why it's not PPE. And we are PPE. Wow. So, And as I say, that sets us apart. And there are a lot of people who say, oh, I still don't think it works. And that's fine. But when you look at the evidence, the testing evidence, the expert opinion evidence, and the legality, we're very proud to say that we have developed the first PPE CE mark brain protection that is sport agnostic, player level agnostic, gender agnostic. And we're also a registered medical device, which again sets us in a slightly different tone as well. So we have this for use with people who have a medical need from neurological conditions falls, epilepsy. And that I think is another, just another hallmark of the research and the design that we've put into this to allow it into a clinical setting as well as a sports setting. But I should say it is 
all intents and purposes, a headband, slightly bigger at the back. But if you're standing more than about a meter away from anyone, you just think it's just a headband. And we have this in nine sports, 10 geographies. We have it in three Premier League academies, and we have it all over the world in in, in different levels and different leagues. Yeah, hopefully brain protection is coming to a team and a, a player near you. <laughs> I love that. No, it hats off to you for that kind of achievement and, and the work that's gone into that and, and, and the results that you're seeing in that really exactly the sort of products and company that, that we like having on this podcast and, and talking about all these things that are going to accumulate and make, I like to think of them as, as atomic gains, but this does actually feel like quite a big one. I guess what I find striking off the back of that then is you've got huge problem in sport and like the, all the things you mentioned early onset dementia, you've got this great solution that clearly works with measurable results as you have why do you think it's not something that's actually mandatory in sport at this point why do you think it's like like shin pads in football as far as i understand you have to or expected to wear is there a systematic change that might need to be at play some health and safety regulations that just haven't caught up yet there's a lack of knowledge that's at the heart of this you're right shin Guards, shin pads are mandatory. Children are sent off the field. Players are sent off the field if they're not wearing shin pads. The same in uh, other sports around mouth guards. And it's around knowledge. And I am astounded when we present to schools and to clubs that when I ask that question, why do you protect your shins and your teeth but not your brain? People say, I've never thought about it. And that is it. It's it's a coming of age around, around brain health. It's a coming of age around people realizing and knowing more about the consequences. So that the profile over the last 10, 15 years, the amount of research that's gone in. By the way, this is not new. This, this, the early origins of CTE are over a hundred years old. I think first recognized in this country in 1935. This is not a new thing, but it is, it has been something that hasn't had the time, attention and research until now. And also seeing the brain. We're talking about brain injury here that's 4,000 times smaller than the human eye can see on a regular scan. So you've had to wait to neuroimaging has caught up and to be able to see the brain at that most, most detailed level. And that's not the regular scans that you have in a hospital. These are very specialist scans, which are very few in number in this country. So there's just an education piece. And there's also an element where if you don't take accountability and responsibility for your own brain, and your own brain health, who else will? And Mm. that I think is a really important consideration for parents and for coaches. Are you doing your best? Because if you're sending people off for not having a mouth guard and a shin guard, then why why are you not thinking about the brain? And sport is obviously trying to address that and law changes and rule changes and more red cards and more punishment for for foul, foul play. All of those things are quite unenforceable. They're quite unpredictable. They require an element of a decision that can be right and wrong. What we're working on is really back to those fundamentals around what is the physicality of the brain? How do you protect it? And what are the mechanics of brain injury? And how do you reduce it? And what we've come up with, we think, is an option. Um, It's not a silver bullet, but it's an option. And it's an option that should be utilised in, in, in regards to other options, other protective options that people might want to do. And that, 
that includes the age at which children start hitting a football or the age at which children start to make a tackle. First and foremost, your own brain health has to be your own responsibility in the same way that every other aspect of your health, you or your parents or your coach look after. Mm, absolutely. I mean, so I suppose on that then, do you find you're getting much resistance from players themselves or perhaps further up the chain, like their coaches or maybe the sporting bodies as a whole who perhaps just don't want things to change? I imagine, I don't know, but I imagine money will be a part of this and that sporting bodies, once they bring in a new regulation and safety measures, it's something they have to provide. And then there's a financial kind of leg to that as well. Is, do you think that's fair to say or... I think that is fair to say. I think there's a lot of people very frightened, very afraid of the knowledge that's going to unfold, knowledge that they don't know about the brain. And that's number one. Then there's the people who don't know what decision to make because they don't want to be the first to make a decision. So we're always intrigued by the schools we meet and say, oh, no, we wouldn't we wouldn't recommend that um, because we wouldn't want to be the first in the county or we wouldn't want to be the first in this, this city. That would not be the case if it was a tuition tool for your A-levels or your GCSEs. There's no school would say, you know what, we don't want to better our pupils and we don't want our pupils to perform better. And so it is quite, there's a lot of old school, old fashioned thinking that is actually very insular and very one dimensional and irrelevant to what we now know about the brain and particularly around performance and health of the brain. At a player level, there are still players who don't want to step out of the crowd, who are peer pressured into things. And so we do come across that. But as I say, it's back to that point. I think as more and more is understood, as financial consequences are understood about what the risk is of brain injury, as player numbers, as people choose not to play certain sports because of the risk, Maybe there'll be a more open debate. And as I say, why are we protecting our shins and our teeth? And why do people think that wearing a shin guard or a mouth guard protects you more so than what we're, we've developed for the brain? Because at the end of the day, most people would benefit from cosmetic dentistry. Getting a new set of teeth isn't a big deal. Mm. And there are plenty of people in the country who would love to help you have that. And the same with, you know, if you break your leg or anything like that, nobody's suggesting you'll have a hobble for the rest of your life. It's just crazy that you put the brain at risk. So yeah, I, I think it, legislation, I think health and safety, I think increasing awareness and knowledge and good old-fashioned logic will start to come to the fore. But we're very early stage in the market. We are mm. the first movers. We're proud to be the first movers and we've got that expert knowledge to be very confident to be the first movers. The vision is taking people with you. And as I say, it's giving people a choice and not everybody will want to take up that offer. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's such a key thing. And, and this is going to be a, a theme that, that crops up on this podcast a lot. But the way we communicate these issues is almost just as important as the issue itself, because we, we want people on side. And so often, once you feel so strongly about something, it's just so, so right. You can so easily push people away if you go about it just that, that bit too forcefully. Right. So it's I find a case of show, don't tell, just do the good thing and people catch on. It may not be as quick as you want it to be, but I feel like it's maybe a lesser or definitely a, a preferable approach for me that, that I found. I, what I really do like about it is it's a preventative measure, not a plaster afterwards. I think a lot of the things in place at the moment, like the, some of the new rules, okay, let's give rugby players extra checks after they've had a big tackle or, or harsher 
penalties for for bad tackling, that kind of thing. That's all well and good, but damage is done at that point, right? (laughs) After the event, that's the, if you look at the other technologies, whether that's eye tracking technology, whether it's saliva markers for concussion, whether it's HIA, these are all after the event. Mm. And they are, they're, they're irrelevant to subconcussions. Again, it's, it's getting people to understand that concussion, this is more than just concussion. And at the moment, the concussion narrative is dominating people's knowledge and thinking. And that's, it's not wrong to say that it shouldn't be part of it, but it should be part of it with subconcussions. And I'm, there's very few people know about subconcussions. It's not part of the, the same discussion. And concussion and concussion policies, I would say, are in most schools, most clubs, but subconcussions and CTE minimization. CTE policy is absent. Wow. And as I say, the bigger risk is, you know, the subconcussions and the later life neurogenesis. 20% of people who've been diagnosed with CTE after death never had a recorded concussion. That's what people need to understand. And these subconcussions in their volumes, if you've had more than three concussions in life, you shouldn't really be playing sport that puts you into that risk. And I've met people who've had three concussions in a season. Even more than that. Sounds about right. It's yeah, it's wild. And yet these subconcussions, they're just they've never heard of. Maybe this next question is actually quite difficult to answer from a preventative measure because what I'm what I'm going to ask you is can you give us any success stories of people that have worn what you do and had that that protected themselves? Well, I suppose it's very hard to talk about what doesn't happen, right? This person didn't get an injury as a result of wearing something. So I will ask you that, but I'm very yes. interested to see how you think about it. Our product as a protective product is not for after you've had a series of concussions. It is really for the start. It's like insurance. You don't mm. go look car insurance after you wrote your car off, or you don't look house insurance after your house is burnt down. You take it out to reduce the risk. And that's essentially what we're doing here. Now, we know in some of our work and some of our studies in players that they, after wearing it for a period of time, have not had a concussion for what you can record on that. And again, we're looking at how we can get enough evidence points together to to prove around the reduction of the risk around subconcussions. So there is a, a strong body of user evidence of the people who are wearing this. And what also this product doesn't do is give you a false sense of confidence because we're really clear about what it is and what it's not. Because it's really lightweight, because you forget you're wearing it, then you don't go around like a charging bull with it. And that is typically something that, from a psychological perspective, is often presented as a reason not to wear head protection because it, it makes you play more aggressively. Again, we considered that very early on about reducing this risk of false confidence. And that's why the design element, and that's why we worked with some of the leading protection experts to develop something that is, quite frankly, you just forget you're wearing it and it's on your head. And again, it's all down to personal experience. If you value your brain, you will you will think about protecting it. Absolutely, yeah. And I, th- I think if you ask people like that, you're only really going to get one answer, aren't you? It's like, of course I care about my brain. It's, without it, I would be... I wouldn't well, be here quite <laughs> Correct. The, the, thing is, the thing that's really tied into protection is performance. The brain determines who you are. And what really excites me is this, this feels like just the beginning for you guys. So what does the future look like for, for, for Reason? And, and for you personally as well, actually, I'm really keen to know where you, 
even outside of business, just where your head's at with all of this going forward? It is. We've been on this journey for three years. We've been as like every startup going through, you know, IP, going through testing, getting into market. And now we're starting to to get some of the success of all of that hard work and, and a team behind us. We are in the protection space, but we are moving into detection and performance. And we have a partnership with a US company called Cogware. And they okay. have developed the world's most advanced EEG technology, which gives you clinical grade data. And what we're working with them on is detection. So actually understanding the elevated risk of brain injury. And so they're allowing people in their own setting to get better brace baseline of their brain health. The start of the season, post-injury, helping them manage their return to play. Because if you've had a concussion, your risk um, is for a year after. Not 23 days or seven days or any of those things that are in return to play. It's for a year. Your brain is at risk. And you're at increase of more sub-concussions, more concussions. Again, having this idea of being able to monitor your risk through detection and then performance. We are working on that EEG technology to allow us to give you clinical grade, non-biased measures of performance, fatigue, engagement, distraction. So in other words, why does Rory McIlroy not win, win the Masters? Why does Spurs lose? That's the brain that's played a part there. And we already have this product in testing. We will be going through our CE, our FDA clearance very soon. That product's not for everybody. So as I say, we have a, we're covering that spectrum of protection, detection, and performance. That's where we're going. For me personally, as a founder, there are two things that motivate me. One is challenging that status quo, bringing that attention onto brain health. And secondly, giving people the choice that when they're in their 20s, their 30s, and their 40s, they might not have to face later in life neurogenitive disease. And that, that's what the finding principle has been about. And to answer that question that I've had for 30 years, which, which seemed a very obvious one, but nobody else had really taken anything to do with it. And as I say, other products in the market are not focused where we're focused. And it's working with our experts that we know that is, that's really where we need to be focused to reduce the risk. We always like to end these episodes with a shout out f from you to someone that you think really is making the world a better place. Working hard at that can be someone famous, be a relative, an individual, business, organization, whatever it might be. We just like to hear from the, uh, the, the change makers, change maker, as it were, someone that you think is worth having a, a bit of a, a moment to speak about. In the journey of reason, I've met many people. I've met people who are supporters, people who are critical, people who are critical friends, but I've met experts, many experts. And there's one expert and one team I want to call out. And that is um, a clinic in London called Recognition Health, who are the brain and mind experts. That's what they go by and that's what they're known for. And they're leading the way around new clinical trials for treatments to slow and halt brain disease. Um, they're working on uh, knowing more about CTE and the diagnosis of it. They're working on developing very sophisticated neuroimaging technique. Their CEO, Dr. Emer McSweeney, did a TED talk last year in, in Athens, which has had over a million views. And that TED talk, which is about CTE, is something that every parent, every player, every coach, every school governor 
and everybody in and around sport needs to watch. It is the most succinct talk that there is certainly out there at the moment in terms of CTE and what it means and what it could mean for you or your friend or for your family. And I think that's a shout out that's worth really calling out. It's of its time and it's knowledge that does not seem to filter through in the media. It's knowledge that doesn't seem to filter through on social media because there's a lot of confusion and conflation, a lot of very loud, uninformed voices. Actually, it's the time to be quiet and listen to the expert and hear what the expert has to say. And if you think you have a different view, then certainly, of course, you present it. But I think the public would be well served by choosing to listen to an expert and maybe some of the other people are making a lot of noise. Maybe if they just sit back down again and, and let a more informed and a more educated debate happen, I think that would be good. So that's a shout out I would put. But I would say that I've heard a lot of personal stories. I've met a lot of people in this journey and the journey continues. And I look forward to reconnecting with some of those stories and maybe sharing where we've seen some change of part and some change of mind as people start to engage more and more around the brain health debate. I couldn't agree more. I'll have I'll have links to everything that you've mentioned down in the in the show notes. Judith, that's been brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, I'm really grateful. It's a short life and I'm always really grateful whenever anyone chooses to spend any time with me. I've been really insightful. I certainly learned a lot. And thank you for putting it in a way that's actually easy to understand because I'm not a, a brain scientist or a scientist of, it, of any description, really. <laughs> I'm just keen to learn. Just very quickly, just, just give us a, a reminder of where we can find your products. I'll put links below. And actually for the people watching as well, for the visuals, just I know you've got it there with you. Let's have a quick so look. So it's there we go. Reason, R-E-Z-O-N, where, W-E-A-R.com. And we're on all the usual sort of, sort of social media as well. And yeah, please get in touch with us. And it's a protective headband called Halos. Halos is the plural of halo. Um, nine protective layers, reduces rotational forces by up to 61% in concussive and subconcussive impacts for every player in sport and a medical device for those that require it for medical conditions as well. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks for your time, Judith. Thank you, Sam. So there we have it. I thought that was really insightful and I hope you did too. I certainly learned a lot about what now seems kind of obvious to me. We should be, of course, looking after our brains and each other's. Conditions such as early onset dementia, they kind of terrify me slightly. So to see people in the world trying to reduce that, people like Judith and the people at Recognition Health, that's reassuring to me. Now, part of this show is to help you guys navigate some of the difficulties that come with making the quote-unquote right choice as a consumer. You might want to, but don't always know how. You might, in all good faith, for example, buy a scrum cap to protect your head. And who could blame you? But perhaps after listening to today's episode, you'll feel just a little bit more educated on where you should be looking if you need protective gear for your sports practice. I'm not actually a massively sporty person myself, so I'm keen to hear from those of you that are and see what you think about brain safety in sport. Is it something that, like me, you've never thought about before? Is it something that you still might shrug off as a later problem? Or is it something that now you're more likely to take more seriously? Let me know. You can get in touch on cpi at soundquake.co.uk. That's cpi for creating a positive impact. 
at soundquake.co.uk. And remember that your input and your feedback, it really does shape who we reach out to and have on this show. So please let me know anyone that you think is doing great work in their respected field. We'll be back next week to uncover some of the hidden truths behind the fruit juice that we drink. So I'm looking forward to seeing you then. And to end, I'll leave you with a little lesson that I find myself coming back to whenever I find myself getting lazy and taking shortcuts to learn new things. And it's a quote from Thomas Paine. What we obtain too cheaply, we esteem too lightly. It is dearness only that gives everything its value.